about business, right? Starting a business is like throwing a massive house party. I'll provide the entertainment and you show up ready to enjoy yourself. Hustlers, I'm Seneth Horton and this is Hustle and Grow, a podcast where we take a normal person who's launched something completely badass and we get real with what makes them tick. With a captivating 300,000 gallon shark tank in the background, Roger Anders on the mic in a room full of information hungry entrepreneurs, I learned more about the overarching template of being a successful CEO than I had learned cumulatively over the 10 years of being a CEO, founder, and mentor in my own world. Andrus, a multi-organization founder, currently operates TechX and Park City Partners Group, both in the mentoring and revenue accelerator space. Now, hustlers, welcome, Roger Andrus. Roger, I am so excited to have you on the show today. To take a quick second and just introduce yourself. Oh, thank you for having me, Roger Andrus. I work with entrepreneurs and business owners for like for the last thirty years or so specifically helping them help them to accelerate their access to money, markets, and mentors. What has built you to be the type of person that you are? And to get, a, get us kicked off in that direction, what has led you to what you're currently doing? So probably what, what really started me off in my career is one of the first school, one of the first jobs out of um, graduate school is I worked for one of the largest SBA lenders in the country at the time. And my job was as a credit analyst. And what that means is anytime a loan officer, and we had like uh, 13 offices all throughout the Southeast, is anytime they had a loan, they would send it in to me for analysis. And so what I had to do is I had to analyze various different business models, entrepreneurs, and systems, and to come up with a determination of whether I thought they were a good business to invest in. And so that's been really been an invaluable piece of experience that I had that just kind of led me through the years to continue to work with the companies and help them get to the next level because I've been able to be exposed to so many different methodologies and approaches and, and you know, the deliverables that I've seen high-quality entrepreneurs um, put into place. That definitely is a very nice bedrock to give you exactly what you needed to make some big decisions for people, real life people every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, tell me really quickly, do you have a specific story of a big challenge that you've overcome throughout the years with this particular way of making decisions? So maybe, maybe just putting a little bit more meat on that uh, story. So when I was working for the, the SBA lender, and I was analyzing all these different type of businesses, one of the questions that I had in my mind is, what makes for a good business to invest in? I um, started looking at our own portfolio of companies, and while I was analyzing those companies, I, I kind of noticed that this group of entrepreneurs did better than this other group of entrepreneurs. In fact, it was kind of amazing how successful they were. And so I started diving into it and seeing, okay, what what really is making these guys tick or these type of investments tick. And what was interesting is I found that the entrepreneurs that actually bought into a franchise and they became the franchisee actually outperformed the individuals who tried to go out on their own. And so I started looking at that and I 
And I realized that these top-tier franchisors had spent a tremendous amount of money figuring out a system and a process and a way of doing business so that when a franchisee stepped into that and became part of the franchisor family, that they had a whole system and support um, right built into the into programs, like a turnkey. They, you know, the franchisors had spent an enormous amount of money on doing the research on their, you know, the marketing and their sales, and then also on their operations and their placement and had figured these all out and had spent, you know, countless hours doing that. So when the franchisee came into this turnkey system, they did immensely well. And um, that led to some of my early thought processes that um, if, if franchise, any of, if, if entrepreneurs could follow some type of entrepreneurial script, if you will, and have good mentors and coaches around them, then they could be far more uh, successful. And so I've done several projects over the years just kind of testing that, uh, that theory. But uh, going back to the original story, when I went and analyzed those, uh, those franchise loans, we actually created a franchise financing division. And I had the opportunity to visit with all, with all the major franchisors at the time there on the East Coast. Um, and that was, you know, a great experience, but it also kind of continued to give me the insight that um, these franchisees were actually getting to be successful and kind of the coaching and mentoring that they got. Um, that, um, that little experiment, if you will, that I started with, um, with that SBA lender, actually after we started that franchise or uh, financing division, that, that actually grow, grew within you know, six months to be like a $45 million division and went from 8% production to about 78% uh, totally uh, company production. So mm-hmm. that was an interesting thing. And also what kind of uh, was interesting about that is it, it taught me the value of the ideal customer and honing in on the ideal customer. So for us, the ideal customer was you know, putting assets in place that became top performing assets or so getting a return on our investment. But also for um, other companies going in and helping them identify their ideal customer, um, you know, made all the difference in so many companies over the year. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example that would be a, maybe something that would demonstrate what a not an ideal customer would be? that maybe turned into a sticky situation back then? Um, well, you know, probably a, a non-ideal customer who probably probably all uh, face that is, um, you know, customers that are hard to deal with and your margins are small and, and it just takes more effort to, to service those customers as opposed to another. It's the old 80-20 rule where, you know, actually maybe 20% of a company's book of business actually accounts for 80% of their profits. And so, Kind of with that in mind, going through and grading customers mm-hmm. of you know the value of it, and not being afraid to um, weed out and fire certain customers if they don't fit uh, within the um, strategy of the company. For example, I remember several years ago there was a company that had this high tech machine in the CAD CAM environment, and um, they they could do all sorts of systems sophisticated things with it, you know, their, their initial customer or they thought their initial customer was 
the automobile industry, like the top the top tier of the automobile industry, but they pushed in that, and some of their sales cycles were, were delayed. But what was interesting is then they started getting into all sorts of requests for different uses of it, and then it just kind of diluted their focus, and at the end of the day, they really didn't have anything. I'm a big proponent of not only finding your ideal customer, but also doing what I call mini tests and to really you know uncover what the true value of a certain customer segment is. I remember meeting you last year and um, you were giving a presentation. I know I was definitely moved, which is part of the reason I wanted to reach out and interview you. As we as I've gone forward through this last year, you know, things have come up over and over and over again. And I actually was hoping to get some clarification on some of these points, what a CEO should and shouldn't be doing with their time. Give me the story of where these four points were and I'll let you uh, kind of take it from there and we'll go through and just do some Q&A along these lines. When I work with a CEO, I kind of say, okay, there's, there's a lot of things that you can do, but what is the highest and best use of your time? Some of the key areas that any CEO should be spending their time on is they should be developing some very specific skills. And the skills are they need to be able to delegate, predict, rainmake, and fundraise. And those are some, you know, the core skills of a, of a CEO that they should have that ability. And so that's the first step as far as getting them along the, the entrepreneurial script, as I call it, of what their roles and responsibilities should be. And a lot of times they're, they're diluted in their focus and they're trying to do everything. But uh, if they can just focus their efforts on these four, you know, core skills, then um, then life gets better for them. What is, uh, and we'll just start with delegation, what is the thing that surfaces that maybe people have the hardest time getting over, but how does that help them in the end? You can't be an expert on, in everything, and um, it's either kind of duplicate or die. As far as delegation goes, there's so many things that need to be done, and they need to bring in a team. I say start with a core of four, but really the core can be up to maybe um, – uh, maybe seven individuals, including themselves. So getting them focused and everybody on the same page, focused in the right direction, so the big picture. But then what comes down to is breaking that vision down into actionable steps and being able to delegate it out. The initial thing for um, an entrepreneur should be to at least get three people with them and then maybe build up to five. And some of those three function areas of the CEO that he should have people in place is somebody able to take over the, you know, the revenue, the sales and marketing, um, another person over the operations, and then another person in the scorekeeping role, which is the accounting, the financial accounting, but also the managerial accounting and the KPIs. If he can start working with getting, you know, some people around him, then it becomes um, easy to kind of discuss and make better decisions and really assign the work out where people are actually focused and not trying to wear too many hats at, uh, at the same time. So the delegation principle is, is you know, a lot of management. Uh, uh, there's a lot, you know, a lot of great content out there um, about uh, management, but um, I think the entrepreneur is focusing on being able to give assignments to people and then hold them accountable to report back that, uh, you know, missions accomplished and that we're doing things and giving input. And then instead of 
the the CEO trying to do everything. He has a team doing things at um, at strategic touch points in his in his company. Mm-hmm. And then basically, he's he's got his vision, what he wants to accomplish, and then he's got a team of people that are all dedicated to supporting that vision and supporting him or her specifically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's jump into this prediction question for a quick second. Um, You know, one word that I like to talk about is vision and understanding where you're headed. And as you use the word predict, I wanted to hear kind of, you know, timeframes or or kind of best practices when you're helping a company work through their own predictions. Okay, um, great question. You know, of course, there has to be a, you know, a big idea or a big place for them to be working towards, you know. You know, there's been a term um, from good to great, uh, big, hairy, audacious goal. But uh, there needs to be something big that they're going to be working on. Um, I kind of call it like the man on the moon that uh, in order to get to the man on the moon, there's a lot of things that need to be done. So that's the big, the high level things. And then maybe going back and cascading down is to what the you know, the three-year picture looks like, what the one-year plan is going to be, and then breaking it down into a uh, quarterly-type um, sequence where they're concentrating on some of these big initiatives each quarter. With that, there's probably a, a list of maybe, you know, seven or 12 key metrics that they can use and look at on a weekly basis for sure of what uh, how their business is doing, kind of a snapshot. Some people call it a scorecard. But uh, from there, they can actually break those down on some of the activities that go into some of those key numbers, and they can actually uh, develop a point where they're actually predicting what is going to happen or uh, going to transpire uh, based upon you know, what, um, you know, what input they're receiving. So one of the things that I start with a company on, and I think one of the first steps of, you know, there's like three pillars that I tell them about is one pillar is they need to get a predictable sales process, a sales model in place where they know where, you know, what it takes to get a lead, the you know, customer acquisition costs and what the lifetime value of the customer is going to be and kind of get that prediction going that if they do, they're going to get Y on a consistent basis and really kind of molding that in. And so, you know, one of the root roles of the, um, of the CEO is to, you know, be able to predict and also rain make. And I want them involved in the, you know, the, the higher level, um, you know, relationships, but also being to have that predictability factor that if they spent, X amount of dollars, they know they're going to get these many leads and they know that through the process, they're going to close this amount and it's worth this much money. That's where the prediction comes in. Uh, the other piece is to, to really know the numbers and uh, be on top of the numbers. And then the other piece is really getting the human capital side, getting peak performance out of your human capital. So those three pillars are three areas that a company really needs to focus in on and make sure that uh, 
they're really on top of the game on each one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go ahead and jump into rainmaking. I know I've actually done quite a bit of studying on rainmakers and uh, what that term means. And being in PR, uh, I definitely like to to liken it to creating conversations about the company. But there's much, much more to it. So if you could go in and just describe a little bit about you know, what it takes to be a, a very effective rainmaker um, from the maybe partnerships and deals or go into it a little bit more from your perspective? There's probably several layers in rainmaking, but the CEO really has to be involved in the rainmaking process. And so they may be able to delegate some of these things out, um, such as the marketing to generate leads and maybe a sales manager to work on the sales. But um, really the CEO is kind of like, uh, one of the main faces of the company. And so the more that he can involve, get involved and cultivate high-level relationships, either strategic partners or it's customers, um, people want to do business with, with them. And so the more that he can get out there and um, really cultivate um, those type of, of interactions, the better off the company is going to be. So let's talk a, a little bit more about fundraising from the CEO level. What does that mean? That means that um, that when um, uh, funding is needed for the company, the CEO should be front and center because at the end of the day, um, investment or opportunities are really going to be dependent upon the CEO and the team that he has around him. And so, just know from my own experience that um, in the in in the angel investment world is that if the CEO did not come to make the pitch, there's always also a question of there's always a question of why didn't he come? You know, yeah. does he believe in this company or is he too busy? And and so um, that's something that he can't really delegate. Um, they want to see who is who is the team and who's leading up the team to that. Um, investors are going to put money into the company on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a, a colleague and he's been in business for about 20, 21 years. And he's in about the five and a half million dollar mark. And he actually so he's got a full team, a full probably seven man sales team that work across several states. And he made a really interesting comment to me. Now he's not looking for venture capital funding or angel funding. He, but he did make this comment. He said that he is responsible still, even with his full developed sales team, he's still responsible for about 50% of the revenue that comes in on his business from some of the big accounts that he's had for years and years and years. And that's one thing that, um, you know, if he were to stop paying attention to that, you know, his his business would tank very, very quickly. So I think that in the beginning, as well as long term, you've got to be able to stay right on top of fundraising, being a face for that company. And I really like that you brought it up. Um, you know, does that company care about what's happening in their business if they're not going to show up? So I appreciate you for going into detail on those. Um, is there anything that you wanted to mention about kind of the combination of these four things and a, a little bit of possibility that you can lay out when people are able to um, learn these skill sets appropriately? So, you know, kind of a story comes to mind when, when I was um, working for that uh, large SBA lender and I was sent down to Central Florida uh, to meet with an applicant to, I think they wanted like a million dollars or so or less. And um, 
really wasn't that excited to go um, initially, to be honest, because what it was, it was an amusement park. Mm-hmm. And so I went down there and, and um, the CEO met me and he was very gracious and started showing me around the, the park, you know, so you could, they had, you know, you know, miniature golf course and, and um, uh, go-karts and, you know, batting cages and those types of things. And then when he took me inside, he took me to this big warehouse type thing and his, you know, what you'd probably imagine it being there, there was um, amusement games, uh, all sorts of arcade games, and then, you know, a snack bar, and, you know, where you deem your, you know, your tokens for prizes, and a little party room, but not that exciting, but re- really got me excited when he took me into his office, and then he had it laid out that in every square foot of his facility, he could tell me his profit for the day on every single machine. And if the machine, you know, if an arcade machine was not performing, he'd move it around, get rid of it, change it and out. But he knew that much detail on his business. And so he knew exactly what his profit per, I call it profit per X, but his, in his case, his profit per square foot. And mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that impressed me about good CEOs that I've looked over the years that when they have that kind of detail and they know, um, what it takes in that mindset that they can tell me what their profit corrects or what really is making and driving their business model. I think that's when the magic starts to happen. And that's when I, I know that they, they get it, that they are, they are onto something and, and um, their business is going to flourish. Mm-hmm. And in this case, his business was really flourishing. I want to hear if you have any interesting theories or projects you're working on right now that you want to share. So one of the projects that I'm working on, I've been working on, I guess it's not a project, but I've been working on it for um, seven years now. And what it is, it's a revenue accelerator. We call it TechX uh, Revenue Accelerator Mentored Acceleration. And what it is, it's a it's something that I designed to help companies get the traction as soon as, as, soon as possible. So what I've seen, I was managing a couple funds, and I noticed that Entrepreneurs are coming to me and asking for money, and we go through the process and we get them some money, and then six months later, they'd come back to me for some more money, and I'd say, well, um, you told me that you were going to do this this amount, and you've only done this amount. What what happened, and now you want more money? And they'd say, well, it always takes longer than we thought. It costs more than we thought, and we didn't get the adoption that we wanted from our customers and this kind of sort of thing, and so... So we started um, doing a little experiments, and I thought, well, you know, these entrepreneurs, they don't have a big budget, but what if then I brought in a, a seasoned veteran award-winning sales trainer, and just, let's just work with their sales team for 12 weeks mm-hmm. and to see what would happen. And so we did that for 12 weeks, and, and I was kind of surprised when I looked at the data, and I had you know, 10 of my portfolio companies go through, I noticed at the end of that 12 weeks that across the board, collectively, they are up by 28%. And so we decided to do another experiment, but this time I brought in the lead generation thing to really help the company. So we had the lead generation and then we got got the sales, you know, closing um, processes down. And so I brought in another 10 companies out of my portfolio and we did another 12 weeks. And then at the end of that, um, 12 weeks, that test group was up by 
um, 86%. So over the years, I've been honing this, and the project is, is really to help companies move their needle in a short period of time to give them the traction that they need to either grow organically or be attracted to bigger pools of money. So we've been doing this in cohorts twice a year. Um, last year, we probably had over 100 companies that had gone through the program. We kind of tracked the results. Um, their sales last year were about $150 million. Um, that was up by 2.5x when they first started. But also, we tracked you know, what, uh, what have been some of the liquidity events, such as follow-on capital and exits. And we noticed that they had had about $120 million in, in liquidity events, 16 exits, and um, one company actually sold for 30 times revenues. And this has been pretty exciting. We keep on adding on to it and keep uh, helping companies get the traction that they need. And so I think, you know, one is goes back to that uh, predictable factor for the CEOs to predict their sales, mm-hmm. but also if they can get traction, then they can make a decision that uh, they can grow organically or just by virtue of having the traction that they do, then they can get follow-on capital um, easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got a few, maybe a little bit more personal questions or what is something about you that people would never guess? Uh, they usually never guessed that um, I went to high school in Miami, Florida. Any personal rules for success in the game of business? Uh, I think probably the one rule that I've probably used throughout my career, especially evaluating investment decisions and companies, is really can they and will they do what they say they're going to do? Do you have any advice for a CEO that's ready to take it to the next level? You know, I think I think there's, you know, five things that an entrepreneur and CEO have to have access to. And so having somebody uh, work with them on it um, is, is crucial. And that is, I call them the five M's that every, you know, entrepreneur or CEO needs. And that is access to money, markets, mentors, monitoring, and management, which is the human capital performance. But mm-hmm. those five three things could be um, very helpful. Um, I'm reminded of a, of a saying by um, Richard Branson where he says that, you know, every, you know, regardless of how smart you are or how much, you know, what you've accomplished, every entrepreneur needs a good mentor. And as I dug into that quote, I came across that when he was starting Virgin Airlines, he didn't have any airlines experience, but he went out and sought a, a mentor that had some industry-specific experience and uh, he, that's how he became, you know, very successful. In fact, he has like, what, 100 different businesses that he's running. And um, for even, you know, something that accomplished that uh, saying that even he needed a good mentor, I think that's the, the one thing that I leave with every entrepreneur is have that key advisor with them that, um, that he can talk with. Mm-hmm. There's probably several different mentors. Um, one of my, you know, colleagues um, says that entrepreneurs need massive doses of mentoring. And so there's probably um, subject matters that they could get subject matter expertise. But I think they all just also just need someone to kind of, you know, to talk through on a one-on-one basis of some of the things they're thinking of and, and help them um, flush it out. 
mm-hmm. before they, they go through it. So what I've seen is that the CEO, they have so many people that they can talk to. They can only tell their employees so many things. They may not be ready to go to the board with it. Their spouses only want to hear so much of it. Yeah. And so they, they probably need somebody, you know, on a one-on-one basis to kind of help them flush out their ideas so that they can, they can run with it and um, uh, have some kind of a critical thinking exercise with them to flush things out so they can, um, you know, act upon all the good ideas that they have. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great way of looking at it. Um, and it also brings uh, something to my mind, too, just to add on to that would be to, as you're looking at finding a mentor and pulling somebody on, the experience can be a critical turning point as far as your own success. You know, as you're talking about being able to flesh out your ideas, if you're talking with somebody who's not in the same industry, maybe they're an experienced business person, but they're in a different industry, uh, there might be some limits to what they can help you flesh out, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that's some really great, great advice on mentorship. Um, you know, let's go ahead and I, I'm very curious. You've already mentioned one quote, um, but is there is there a quote or mantra that you you really like right now? I don't know if it's really a quote. It's just something that an observation that I made a long time ago that, um, you know, it really doesn't matter how much, you know, how, how, you know, how good you are at bringing in the business if you can't service the customers you already have. And so I think it really just kind of, um, puts it back on creating something, you know, worthwhile, something of excellence so that when you do have customers, you keep the customers. And so, mm-hmm. um, I often say that it doesn't matter how many PhDs you have or how good your code is or how many patents you have it really doesn't matter. What really matters is the entrepreneur's ability to create and keep customers and by that, they can keep the score of how well they're really doing. And that's really what the purpose of their business is, is having the ability to create and keep customers. It's beautifully said. And you're right. It's not really a quote, but it is. it hits home for me. So as we kind of wrap up our conversation today, Roger, I wanted to first off, thank you so much for um, taking the time to chat with me and, and let the audience in on some of these things that you're working with. And I wanted to also, you know, give you a quick chance. Uh, how do people stay in touch with you and what would you like them to reach out to you about? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation. Um, I think probably the best way and the easiest way for people to keep in touch with me is just go on to LinkedIn. And um, if we're not connected, um, I'd love to connect with you and just uh, reach out and um, maybe begin the conversation. Thank you so, so much, Roger. It's been so wonderful and a, just a... A pleasure to chat with you today. This podcast was recorded by me, Aseneth Horton, your host of Hustle and Grow. I'm a serial entrepreneur and expert publicist. I've launched 11 different businesses of my own, including a magazine publishing company, both clothing and jewelry lines, and even a roofing company. I've also helped hundreds of businesses from startup tech to multi-million dollar enterprises run successful marketing and PR campaigns. On top of all of that, 
I have a confession to make. I sleep, dream, and eat business and never tire of thinking about the possibilities or watching these possibilities come to life when someone or some team is excellent at launching. You know what they say about business, right? Starting a business is like launching a rocket ship. You need all the support and ideas you can get. If you'd like to know more about me or our guests or the podcast in general, or if you'd like to become a supporter, please go to citylaunchpr.com forward slash podcasts. Music on this podcast is by Everything We're Not, and the production is by Aseneth Horton and Company. Ciao!